0: Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, September the 14th, in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom, we examine readings for the following Sunday, which is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, September the 20th in twenty twenty. Readings are from Isaiah 55, Philippians 1, and Matthew 20. What we're going to be looking at today is the Philippians 1 passage. Now, for the past couple of months, we've been looking at the readings from Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Uh, This is the first Sunday that Romans isn't part of the epistle, but Paul's letter to the Philippians is Paul has been put in prison, and therefore, this is a letter to the members of Philippi about his imprisonment and also his thankfulness for them. So, beginning with verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Ooh, being put in prison, how does that serve to advance the gospel? Well, Paul's going to explain it. See, sometimes when you're put in prison, you're put in solitary, and you're not able to talk to anybody. Nobody can talk with you. And that would be difficult, how that would advance the gospel. But we know that in Nazi concentration camps, where the women and the men were separated, they were able to talk with each other, and the gospel was advanced. Uh, People knew Bible verses, and it brought comfort to those who were in prison. Now, what's Paul's reason for saying, that his imprisonment advanced the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Isn't that amazing? You you don't even get to the second verse of a text, and Jesus is already brought in. Now, how would they know that? Well, can you imagine Paul talking to someone and he was able to talk to people without mentioning his relationship to Jesus Christ? And the reason he was in prison was for speaking the word of God. So this was a real opportunity. In fact, in yesterday's sermon, I mentioned the two areas in life where a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, The one is prison and the other is in the hospital. Every time I went to the hospital as a pastor, sure, I was seeing members, praying for them, uh, giving them a little devotion, And I can't tell you how many times if they were in a room with someone else that that other person who was not a member of the church would ask, would you say a prayer for me? And of course, we would. In fact, there were, uh, uh, I can't remember just how many people that actually became members of the church through hospital visits to actual members of the church. So there's a good example where you are in a hospital, uh, you're ill, and in some cases you're not sure you'll ever get out of the hospital, and it is a real comfort to hear about Jesus Christ and his promises. And prison is another area. Talk about the law having an effect. Remember the law is God's word to individuals that you are not in control of your life. You may make all kinds of plans and they always seem to fall apart. I indicated uh, in a Bible study yesterday that I had at one time wanted to be kind of a policeman, uh, then a medical missionary, uh, then a regular pastor. And then a professor at the seminary. Well, what happened is God moved me into being a pastor, uh, not a professor. Yeah, even though I had been almost called by the Board of Control to be professor at Concordia Seminary, I lost by one vote. And that was a good friend of mine who voted against me coming to the seminary. Why? Why? because I had just taken a call to St. James Lutheran in University City, and he thought it was inappropriate that I would be leaving so soon. I was only there about a month. So I stayed there for 28 years. And during that time, I got the wonderful opportunity to be on the radio, on three radio stations, and others also. There I can say that what happened to me was happening to serve to advance the gospel in a way that I really hadn't thought about. I hadn't thought about radio ministry at all. And yet I can tell you from the hundreds and hundreds of emails that I've received over the years that the Lutheran theology which we proclaim has really advanced the gospel And people are far more comforted than when they were not a Christian or a Christian in a congregation whose pastor was talking about getting to heaven by your works. So Paul rejoices because by being in prison, the whole imperial guard and those would be Roman soldiers had come to hear about Jesus Christ. Well, Paul's not finished. Verse 14 seems odd. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, when you first read this, this doesn't seem to make any sense. Paul is in prison for speaking the word of God. Wouldn't that cause fear in the hearts of anybody else not to speak the word of God? I heard recently of a Lutheran church whose pastors are not being that clear on certain moral issues. It's not that they uh, agree with gay marriage or abortion or Black Lives Matter but they won't speak against it. And why is that? Well, near the church is a college where you have radical left students who have no problem going and destroying buildings. And I was told that it's possible that these pastors who are pastors of the church are not speaking the word of God for fear that their buildings will be damaged, and they also have a parochial school, and they're worried, perhaps, that the children will be also hurt in anything that happens. Well, there's an example where Paul did not hesitate to speak the Word of God, and that motivated the individuals. But why did they no longer have fear in speaking the word of God? Was it because they wanted to follow Paul as an example? No, let me read this section, and let me reread it with a proper emphasis. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The text is very clear. They have seen Paul in imprisonment and seen that this has served the gospel. They bless the Lord for that and they are emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit to also speak the word of God without fear paul continues in verse 19 for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance now is paul talking about that he'll be freed from prison no the word deliverance here has a different meaning which he explains As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We know, though it's not always in the Bible, but from tradition, that of the apostles it appears that they were all martyred except for John who was on the island of Patmos. God was honored by their martyrdom because they were willing even to be put to death rather than deny the word of God. And so Paul is saying that Whether by life or by death, I expect to be honoring Jesus Christ. By life, I honor him by preaching the word of God wherever I have the opportunity. And if by death, then I die for him. He says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does he mean by that? It doesn't seem like either way is a negative. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. What two is he talking about? The two he is talking about is to live in the flesh, preaching Christ, or to die. And he explains that in verse 23 when he says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What's Paul talking about? How is it far better to die? Because when you die, your spirit is immediately with Jesus awaiting the day of judgment where your body will be restored to your spirit and there will be no pain, no suffering, no hunger, no imprisonment, no sickness. That's why it's far better to be in heaven. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Boy, if this doesn't remind us of Jesus, that he had no self-interest, he was not really doing the suffering for himself. He was doing it for those who despised him, those who were unworthy, you and me. And therefore, Paul understands that. If I remain here in the flesh and I'm able to continue to preach the word of God, that is more necessary for you. Because once I die, all you have from me are my letters that I've sent to the various churches. But if I'm still alive, I'll be able to speak the application of law and gospel on your account. Verse 25, convinced of this. Now, how can he be convinced of that? Because he has faith. And therefore, trust the promises of God. And he's convinced of this. And therefore, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And Paul's talking about coming to them in his letters and if for some reason he's ever released from prison, coming to them in the flesh. That's a really interesting verse that it will be for the progress and joy in the faith. How do we progress in the faith? I thought faith was faith. You believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose for your justification. Isn't that all that is necessary? No. Faith can be grown because we all have different sufferings. It's like training a two-year-old. Once a two-year-old becomes somewhat more independent and he's able to crawl around the house, the parent follows him. And therefore, if the Two year old is going to go and try and pick something up, uh, maybe a a glass or something from a table or even from a shelf. You say no and you pull the two year old back. Now, the two year old is not happy, begins to cry and make a big fuss. The next time, though, you say no and pull him back, he doesn't cry. And finally, you just say the word no, and he stays away from that which he knows you don't want him to do. That is how children are trained to behave properly. Uh, you can also and often see parents that don't have that understanding of bringing a child up. Uh, they they go into a um, store, and the child is pulling things down from the shelf, running around, crying, wanting maybe a chocolate bar, and the parent is beside himself or herself in trying to control the child. That's because they were not trained at home. Similarly, that's why we go to church every Sunday, because the goal of every church service is to get your head to catch up with your heart your new heart that god gave you in faith it believes what is necessary but a lot of time your head doesn't and so a proper sermon helps you to be comforted in ways that you were unaware of and that's what paul is talking about that he will remain in the flesh for your progress and for your joy in the faith. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, do we have opponents? We sure do. Uh, Particularly in the last few years, uh, the opponents in the secular and temporal realm have increased. And many Christians are afraid to speak out the word of God, lest their stars are burnt and destroyed, or that they are even attacked. Uh, One individual, and this is going to be an interesting case to follow, actually shot a thief to death when he was starting to attack him to get into his store. Now, he was arrested, but I'm interested to see if whether or not him defending himself will end up him being declared innocent. I haven't heard of that yet. But we ought not be afraid of our opponents, not because we carry a gun, but because Jesus carries us. Paul was in prison. That was not a delightful place to be. But as he said, it served to advance the gospel. And nothing that happens to you cannot be used to advance the gospel. Even the death of a loved one. As you share with others the comfort and hope you have that the loved one is in heaven. Wow, people hear that. In fact, one of the items I really enjoyed doing were funerals because in our neighborhood, we had a lot of individuals who were not Christians, or at least not Lutheran, who were friends of the deceased. And often at the end of a funeral, they would come and say, you know, I was really interested in what you were saying because I have never heard that before. And some of them even became members of the congregation. So the opponents are against us. And Paul says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, the Pharisees learned that. They attempted to destroy Jesus and then became aware that not only did he say wonderful things from the cross, were both a thief and and a centurion came to faith in him, but that he also rose from the dead. And this was a clear sign to them of salvation that the Christians said was from God. Paul says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's really part of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake. Why is that a blessing? Because when persecution comes, we tend to read the word of God even more closely and to listen to proper pastors, in order that we might be comforted. And that comfort is what helps us to get through any suffering that the devil throws at us. Verse 30, the last verse of the text. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is really important to remember that we Christians are engaged in the same conflict that the Christians at the time of Jesus were engaged in. The the devil hates Christianity because it gives glory to the true God. The devil knows the true God, but he doesn't want any glory given to him. He's kind of like Cain, who killed Abel in order to get revenge against God. Also, that happens with the devil and Jesus. Jesus is put to death, and the devil really is trying to get revenge against the Father. But as in the book of Job, the devil is tricked by God, to actually increase the advance of the gospel by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sins and therefore is the one who is our blessed Savior. So, during this day, I hope the Philippians 1 passage is helpful to you to continue to advance the gospel when you get the opportunity. On tomorrow's Law & Gospel, with the help of Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at the hymn that is selected for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. And it's one of the best well-known hymns. Salvation unto us has come. And when it comes to us, we then can advance it to other people. Till tomorrow, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you.